2: Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union, our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, listener
0: mail. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're going to read some of the messages that you've sent in about things like the Universal Solvent, uh, Star Wars Aliens, Sargassum Seaweed. It's going to be a lot of fun. Are you ready to jump right in, Rob? Let's do it. Okay, this first message comes from Nathan. is It is about our episode on the, the Dissolver of Worlds, the uh, the universal solvent or the alkahest from the history of alchemy. And Nathan writes, Dear Robert and Joe, I recently listened to your episode Dissolver of Worlds about the search for a universal solvent. It reminded me of an old-time radio show I used to listen to called Lights Out. In the episode oxychloride X a disgruntled chemistry student creates a chemical compound which eats through anything as soon as it's created it begins dissolving the chemistry lab and eating through the ground below over the remainder of the story the hole caused by the chemical grows larger both in depth and diameter wreaking havoc worldwide people even become terrified that it will eat through the entire earth I won't spoil the ending but here's a link where you can listen to it and find out for yourselves and they and links to a couple of versions of this old radio show. Um, I'd be interested to hear you talk about other science fiction old-time radio shows in the same vein of your anthology of horror episodes around Halloween. This is a good idea. Uh, Nathan says, Secondly, in the same episode, Dissolver of Worlds, you talked about an alchemist who believed everything in the universe was made of water. That was uh, Jan Baptista von Helmont. I wonder if this was at all influenced by a similar hypothesis from the Greek philosopher Thales of Miletus, who lived in the 6th century BCE. Thanks for continuing to teach me about the world and the weird. Best wishes, Nathan. Uh, Well, thanks, Nathan. Yeah, this was a great email. So several things here. First of all, I remember in that book I was reading by Lawrence Principe about the history of alchemy, uh, The author did mention Thales of Miletus in the context of talking about uh, Van Helmont's idea that at bottom all substances were made of water, just water in different forms. Uh, But I don't know if he specified whether Van Helmont got that idea from Thales or not. But it wouldn't surprise me because obviously uh, alchemists were usually very concerned with the thoughts of the natural philosophers of antiquity. On top of that, you mentioned this Oxychloride X episode, and uh, I have to say that Seth also brought up the same episode to me. We were talking about this, I think, one day when we were sitting around waiting to record one of these episodes. And so uh, so maybe we can get a clip of one of these radio shows to play for you right now.
3: 10 cc barium. 5 cc selenium oxychloride. Oh, good, good. You're working out just as I planned. Who's there? Who's that working there? Professor. Oh, oh it's you, Stuart. And after all my warnings You're just in time, Professor Yes, just in time to have you thrown out of the university What are you doing there? What is this mess of equipment? It's my miracle Miracle? What are you talking about? My miracle Are you insane? Take it apart, all of it, at once <sighs> Listen to it bubbling A Beautiful sound, isn't it, Professor? Take it apart, I tell you Empty out the retort No, no, I've got to wait Are you mad? Turn out the burners All right, I'll turn them off for you it's No, stay where you are Do it Put down that acid I'll smash the bottle on your head if you touch anything no. on the table no, don't throw it Put the bottle of acid down, Stuart. Please. My experiment. My miracle. Bubbling and boiling and stewing. It will work, Professor. It's got to work. But but what is it? I told them I'd create something that no other man has. I told them. And I will, Professor. You hear me? I will. But, but what? A solvent. A solvent more powerful than anything the world has ever known. What do you mean? What are you talking about?
0: I never actually listened to this in full, but I'm going to have to follow up and do that after after we're done today. And I love your idea about covering old radio dramas like sci-fi and horror radio dramas for uh, for some kind of October content. I, I think that's fantastic. I, I will say that I actually don't know all that much old-time radio drama, but I have a good friend who is really into that stuff. And he sent me several things to listen to last year, uh, one of which was a great Orson Welles performance of the classic story The Hitchhiker. Hiker, which was eventually mm. made into a Twilight Zone episode. The one about the person. I pers- think
1: maybe I had to hear that in uh, in school at one point. Now that you mention it, because I was yeah. about to say, I don't really think I've heard much in the way of of old timey radio shows either, outside mm. of you know some familiarity with War of the Worlds and uh, yeah. you know and some of the some of the classics. You know, like the the old uh, what like the Shadow and so The forth. Shadow, yeah. yeah. But it stands to reason there's some good stuff uh, mixed in there, yeah. So maybe we should have a look.
0: I think there was some really good radio drama on the Colgate hour uh, alongside Roy Donk and stuff like that. But also, um, there was a really good one my friend sent me that was an old horror radio drama called Ghost Hunt that was from a show called Suspense that was about a radio host. who, If it was made today, I guess it'd be a podcaster who is like broadcasting from a haunted house that he's trying to stay in all night.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it it's kind of interesting how you you look at these old radio shows and you see similar efforts to kind of do the same thing to reinvent the same thing in the podcast realm today. Um and then of course I think British listeners, the uh, people who've listened to British radio would you know easily chime in and say well yeah, we've been listening to to uh, to to audio narrations audio audio versions of various works for years. I mean they're uh I'm I'm reminded especially of um the, the precursors to certain television shows that came out like i know there's you know doctor who audio dramas and uh i think there was like a you know hobbit uh, audio drama stuff like mm-hmm. that but but also like before you got the tv show the mighty boosh the mighty boosh was a radio program really uh, before chris morris put out his excellent dark comedy jam he put out blue jam which is uh this kind of ambient electronic music slash dark comedy um, mashup that works really well. And there are other examples of that kind of thing is, uh, that you can find, it
0: too. Huh. Okay, well, I can't promise anything, but Nathan, I think this is a great idea. Rob and I will have to mull it over and, uh, and see what we think come October.
1: All right, here's another bit of alchemy listener mail. David writes in and uh, responding to our discussion of the dissolver of worlds brings up the topic of black holes. Quote, if you mix anything with a black hole, it'll break everything down uh, to the most elemental components. And eventually you will only have pure energy left over Hawking radiation. Hear me out. If I try to imagine how a universal solvent would work and what a jar of black holes would look like, to me, at least, they seem like they would both be identical. Black holes would reduce everything as mentioned, but also... Gravity would cause it to eat through any kind of jar and fall to the ground where there would just be a hole going through the Earth until the black hole and Earth find a gravitational equilibrium and anything unfortunate to mix with the black hole would further be reduced. Always enjoy your insight and helping me think of things differently and making new connections. David.
0: I actually thought while we were recording this episode about like, what would be the closest thing to the idea of the universal solvent? And maybe you could say that a black hole is a kind of universal solvent. So David's on the same frequency here, but I'm not sure actually uh, I'd be interested for, uh, you know, listeners with physics knowledge to write in about this. I'm not sure that if you had a tiny, tiny black hole in a jar that it would actually eat through the jar uh, because I recall reading some coverage of, um, people having concerns that the Large Hadron Collider uh, at at CERN would create tiny black holes and that these would just sort of turn into that universal acid that would eat up the whole world. And Mm -hmm. the response to that being that, no, actually, if you work out the physics on the creation of a microscopic black hole, that what it tends to do is actually just like dissipate. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that for sure, but I've read stuff along those lines. So maybe we can revisit that in the future.
1: All right. The next bit of listener mail is in response to the first of our Star Wars Alien Necropsy episodes. Uh, But as we're recording this listener mail episode,
0: only the first one of those has aired. Right. So I'm sure we got a lot more alien stuff coming in. All right. This comes from Nick. Nick says, Hi guys, I love your most recent podcast on the alien morphology seen in the Star Wars movies and franchises. When you were both talking about space-faring organisms and how they could possibly evolve in the vacuum of space, it got me thinking, what if amino acids could be collected in places called Lagrange points, or points where the gravitational pull between two bodies allows for objects to remain in place? In fact, the Sun and Earth have five different Lagrange points that are used for satellites to remain put uh, while using very little fuel. In theory, these areas would be present throughout the galaxy and could act as a collector of amino acids and eventually become a nursery for space-faring organisms. Additionally, it could be theorized that dark matter could also have the same effect, as we know that dark matter has a gravitational pull, but since we don't know what comprises dark matter, it may or may not be suitable for life forms to live in. Just a thought, thanks for the great podcast, and I look forward to hearing more episodes. Nick. Uh, Well, Nick, I'm not sure if what you say is viable or not, but I like the idea of stuff just collecting in Lagrange points, kind of like in the Sargasso Sea, right? There's currents all around it and things just kind of drift into that still point in the middle.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of uh, sargasm. The weed of deceit. Uh, We also heard from Jenna, who writes in and says, while listening to your Sargassum Sea episode, I was reminded that Z Frank did a true facts video on frogfish. If you haven't already seen it, you should. It's delightful. Here's the link. Um, Yeah. And then the link is to one of these uh, Z Frank um, uh, YouTube videos, which I imagine a lot of you have seen. These are these are like documentary footage, but with somebody else. Uh, putting in this uh, this over the top narration, and mm-hmm. I think usually there's some some real facts in there, but also a, a bunch of uh, comedic facts.
0: Yeah, it's it's basically comedy narration over over uh, nature documentary footage. I mean, in the same kind of vein, it's a different person doing it, but the same kind of vein as the much uh, celebrated honey badger viral video from years ago. Uh, and in this case, it's talking about frogfish, and it it one point brings up the sargassum frogfish. Uh, the narrator, I guess this is the Z Frank guy. I was not familiar with this channel before, but I've, I've seen videos like this. And he points out that they eat each other, and he says it's kind of a crappy life because they hang out in this seaweed that they look like, and so it's kind of like if lions looked like couches. <laughs> I like that mm-hmm. analogy. But one thing I noticed is that the narrator doesn't just make comedy points. A lot of what he does is he's just talking about a fish, and then suddenly the fish will like bite another thing's head off, and he'll just start laughing.
1: <laughs> In a way, it's kind of reminiscent of the, the narration we get at the, the beginning of Zat, uh, The Bloodwaters of Dr. Z, which, of course, we, we discussed uh, uh, around the same time on Weird House Cinema. Partially related to this, uh, I have to say that there's, there's a wonderful video that I've watched way too many times uh, where it's uh, it's footage from a documentary series hosted by brian cox not the the actor uh but the 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 astrophysicist a mm-hmm. uh, wonderful science communicator uh taking nothing away from him but in this video someone has dubbed over it doing a brian cox impersonation and it's hilarious because he's because he's saying stuff like you might think this is earth but it's not it's Mars or something, something that, that effect is just uh-huh. like way out there. Um, sounding. <laughs> so I don't know. So sometimes these sorts of gimmicks can work really well. All right. Let's, uh, let's move
0: on to a little uh, weird house cinema uh, listener mail while we're at it. Sounds great. Let's see. Uh, do you, you want to take this one from Katie or should I?
1: Um, I, I can take this one, so okay. Katie writes, Hi, Rob and Joe. I love your show, and Weird House Cinema just makes it even better i 'm actually listening to an episode right now. I know you mostly do adult movies, um, and she means movies for grown ups there, um, or <laughs> movies not, <laughs> not especially like aimed, films, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not especially aimed at children. Um, But she continues. But you did do the Ewok movies once, which I loved. So I thought I might suggest two movies for younger viewers that you may or may not be familiar with. The first and probably the stranger of the two is The Five Thousand Fingers of Dr. T, 1953, which I believe has something to do with Dr. Seuss. And uh, and she is correct on this. This was uh, Dr. Seuss was involved in this. I think it ended up being not. And not a project that that anyone involved in it was particularly happy with mm-hmm. uh but this did come up in my research about like weird films from previous decades anyway uh they i haven't seen it but our, our listener has and they continue Quote, I remember watching this a number of times with my best friend as a kid and loving it, even though it is very strange and at times a little scary. At some point in college, I found a DVD copy and so have seen it at least once as an adult. But that was years ago. I keep meaning to show it to my kids, but I haven't had a chance yet. It's about a boy who is resisting his piano lessons and somehow, maybe through a dream, gets taken to a strange world or castle run by Dr. Tewilliker as a prisoner. There are many other children being forced to play the piano there, and then uh, he has to escape. This may not be exactly right, but it's as much as I can remember plot-wise.
0: This sounds similar to a Goosebumps book that I recall. Wasn't there one about uh, a sinister piano teacher? Well, you know, certainly the the way
1: that we, we think of our piano teachers sometimes can... Uh, can can lean towards the villainous, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they continue. The second movie, The Return to Oz, 1989, may be a little too mainstream, but I love it still today, and it is definitely a little strange. It is sort of a mashup Of the next two Oz books and has some delightful new characters and several genuinely creepy moments, including an old time asylum and a witch who takes off her head. I have shared this with my kids as well as a sixth grade class I taught years ago, (sighs) although at times they were a little worried. They were hooked. Anyway, thank you so much for all the wonderful listening. I uh, don't have much time right now to watch movies. So Weird House Cinema is my portal into the strange B-movie world. Thanks, Katie.
0: Oh, uh, so I've never seen all of Return to Oz, but this is one that people have told me multiple times I should watch and that they thought Mm -hmm. I would love. And so I've seen some clips from it. Uh, I recall it has some creepy pumpkin heads in it. uh, Oh, yeah. People with wheels, skates for hands. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I saw it when I was
1: younger and it does have a lot of weird stuff in it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's and it's got. It, it's got a pretty decent cast, too. It's got some interesting connections there. So, is Dorothy played by Feruza Balk? It is. Yep. Yeah. And uh, let's see who else is in it. Gene Marsh is in it. Um, uh, Brian Henson does a voice. Uh, so, it's. It's interesting. Uh, it might be the sort of film to consider. Uh, is it too mainstream? Um, I don't know. We've, we sometimes ask that question about things we're considering for Weird House because we don't have a, a firm definition of what exactly a Weird House cinema selection is. I know there's at least one very mainstream children's movie that I have, I've been kicking around the idea of doing but uh, haven't quite pulled the trigger on yet
0: i say the criteria for Weird House inclusion are not super solid. I mean, we don't have hard boundaries. But, uh, but yeah, we, we, I guess we do tend to, to the more obscure. But, you know, I don't know. We did a Star Wars movie. I mean, it yeah, was true. Ewoks, but th- that's about as mainstream as you can get. True, true.
1: <laughs> Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples.
2: Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber. Live like a there. Available wherever you will get your podcast. Limited to the availability in select areas. Visit at&t.com/hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
0: All right. So this next message came to us from James. This is a follow-up email. Uh, He, I think, wrote in the last listener mail episode. It was the one where he told us about all those TurboGrafx-16 games, (laughs) including the racing RPG, which is still just Mm -hmm. that's just clanging around in my head like a big copper kettle. uh, That that you would like go to different towns and talk to people and like talk. I don't know, have a random encounters for racing. That just sounds amazing. Uh, but anyway, he also said he was seeking out a copy of frogs, or I think maybe he'd already gotten one. And so he writes again. James says, wow, thanks so much for reading my letter in the latest listener mail segment. That totally made my day. And I look forward to showing it off to my brother who shares most of the same memories. I think he's talking about uh, the TurboGrafx-16. James says, I just finished watching frogs last night between the shots attempting to make geckos appear menacing and the horrific acting. It elicited plenty of laughter and was well worth the $4 eBay purchase. I'm glad you brought this odd little gem to my attention. And then James attaches a photo, I suppose of his copy of frogs sitting on a table. I guess this is in his house, but it's next to a gecko that I can't tell if that's like a plastic fake gecko or a real. That gecko. looks real. That
1: looks like a real gecko.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, and then behind the gecko, yeah, I guess this looks like a gecko habitat, sort of. There's, like, a place with, like, a water bowl and things, so mm-hmm. it'd be strange if that was fake. And then behind it, there's a bunch of art, and one of the pieces of art has this, like, cool-looking gecko with sunglasses. Is this Gex from those Gex video games? You remember these things?
1: I don't know. It looks like it's a Frogger poster based on the the, the term uh, above it. So maybe it was, like, a, la- a Latter-day Frogger video game poster oh I
0: I'm I'm almost certain this character here is Gex I mean you should google Gex if you don't I don't I never played these games myself but somehow I knew about them and maybe friends mm-hmm. I knew had them I don't know Gex Gex is a lizard uh game adventure hero who like makes wise cracks about TV he's like a stand-up comedian gecko action hero and well, it looks a little poochy yeah, yeah, yeah. Very poochy, actually. He's got sunglasses, and they, they definitely poochified him by 10%. So he'll jump on a big mushroom or something and then say, this reminds me of when the fawns jumped over the shark, or I don't know. I just made that <laughs> up. But he, he, like, he makes jokes about pop culture in a video game, which I think was innovative at the time. Wow, okay.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really familiar with him. But, uh, but speaking of frogs, you know who else liked the frogs episode? Who? My mom. Yeah, I think she tends, really? to, yeah, she tends to skip the Weird House cinema episodes, but she was telling me it's like I, I saw the Frogs one and I saw that it had Sam Elliott uh, discussed in it. So I listened to it and it was a lot of fun. So
0: Who doesn't like Sam Elliott? Yeah,
1: she's she has not seen the movie, but she expressed an interest in seeing it after having listened uh, to the uh, episode. So there you go. I briefly brought up the idea to my wife that maybe I could give a copy of Frogs to my mom for Mother's Day, uh, but that was shot down. So can't <laughs> wait. Apparently that's not Mother's Day material, uh, that, that particular movie.
0: I guess not. Hey, do you mind if I do this next message also about Weird House Cinema from Mike here? Go for it. All right. So uh, let's see. Mike writes in to say he, he enjoyed our weird house cinema on silent movies. And he talks about uh, appreciating that we discussed the importance of live music to accompany silent films back in their original time. Uh, like he shares a story of when he was in college. He went to see the movie Intolerance from 1916 and says it was uh, inc- it was accompanied by piano. And he says it was a lovely experience. He says the pianist was like a conduit between the audience and the film part of and separate from both simultaneously. Uh, But then he shares a personal anecdote. I wanted to read this part. Sometime after the showing performance of Intolerance, I mentioned it to my grandmother and was treated to a story that I hold dear. As a young woman in Rochester, New Hampshire, she played the piano for silent movies at the local theater. As she accompanied a film one night, her attention drifted. She was surprised when the audience started to laugh. No one had laughed at that film before. After a moment, she realized that everyone was laughing because she was playing a jaunty polka during a somber <laughs> funeral scene. Never one to Mind what people thought about her she kept on playing bringing it back to a more appropriate tune i love this story because it captures both my grandmother's personality and a particular movie going experience specific to the silent era thanks for all you do mike uh i've never considered this before that you just have like a like a like a pianist improvising i, I guess i always assumed they'd be playing from sheet music that was timed to accompany the music right but if they're improvising yeah who knows what they're going to make the movie feel like
1: yeah. Or if there was some mix up with the sheet music, perhaps,
0: because
1: mm-hmm. um, you could you could imagine a scenario where you had the sheet music for a different film. Right. And it and everything might line up well enough for a while until you get to that section where you are playing polka music over a funeral.
0: Yep, yeah, that's rough, Mike.
1: All right. Here's another. Um, I guess this is kind of I don't know if this is weird house related or just movie related, but this one comes to us from Tom. Hi, Robert and Joe. I just finished listening to Listener Mail, Fire of Unknown Origins. The question came up, why does Sean Connery's character in Highlander have a Scottish accent? My take is Sean Connery's character probably learned English in Scotland. Hmm. If he was from Egypt, he had to learn English somewhere else. Love the podcast. I'm a field service engineer and do a lot of windshield time. Your podcast keeps me entertained and also educates me. So time well spent. Thanks again, Tom. And yes, Tom, this is a solid theory. I mean, why not?
0: Yeah, I, well, so I've I've got I've got a counter theory though. I I do think this is an interesting possibility and I appreciate you sharing it Tom. But one complication is that a language is not just built out of words, but actually built out of phonetic building blocks that are the the subparts of words, you know, the 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 individual sounds you make with your mouth to make a word, and different languages build words out of different sets of phonemes like the individual letter sounds. Often the differences are subtle enough that when we're used to one language and we learn a new one, we build the words of the new language, not out of the same phonemes as a native speaker, but out of the nearest approximation of those phonemes from our own native language. So if you're an English speaker and you're trying to learn French, I think a lot of times at first you're you you're going to be building the sounds, you're like approximating the sounds of French words based on English phonemes. So...
1: You're saying that Sean Connery's character in Highlander, Ramirez, would not be speaking English with a Scottish accent. He would be speaking English with an ancient
0: Egyptian accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not accent, but like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you're immersed long enough, then mm-hmm. maybe because I'm sure he's had plenty of time to get immersed. Maybe then you really do incorporate like the full range of phonemes that a native speaker of that language would use. And then, yeah, the the accent is fully there. Uh so I guess it would depend on how long he's been speaking English.
1: You know, one thing that it makes me wonder about and I've probably wondered about this on the show. So uh before so apologies. But what is the neuroplasticity? of an immortal in the Highlander world, you know, because on one level, their bodies don't really change. And if and if they suffer injury, mm-hmm. like some, I don't know, sometimes it seems like they heal, sometimes maybe not. But for the most part, you know, they they have stayed the same across the centuries. Yet on the on the other hand, and yeah, and certainly, I guess maybe they hold on to old ideas like the Kurgan doesn't seem to have really evolved. He hasn't really evolved that much when it comes to his, you know, his moral philosophy or anything. But mm-hmm. uh, but on the other hand, in order to survive across the centuries, you would have to have a certain amount of neuroplasticity. You would have to, you know, you'd have to be w- able and willing oh. to make drastic
0: changes in your you know, ability to acquire new languages, new cultures, new technologies. Maybe what the quickening does is it undoes synaptic pruning, so that mm-hmm. your brain is sort of reset to a childlike state, where you can have that incredibly protean neoplasticity you see in a child's brain, where a child can just acquire languages uh, at a rate that's unimaginable to adults
1: mm. now this is the quickening that occurs when you behead another immortal
0: and assume their power right or is this the quickening thing where you're just running next to a horse <laughs> <laughs> i think it'd be the the beheading so you got you just okay. go behead another immortal every time you want to learn a new language or uh, actually be able to pronounce all the dinosaur names if you haven't learned them before that kind of thing mm-hmm. okay makes sense
1: uh, i like this theory yes All right. Uh, On that note, uh, Carney the Mailbot is telling us that he is done. This is all the listener mail for today. Uh, Of course, we still have other bits of listener mail we didn't have time to get to. Uh, New listener mail is coming in all the time. So keep it coming. We read all of it, even if we don't have a chance to read it all on the show. Uh, We appreciate your your thoughts, your riffs, your uh, suggestions for the future, your, uh, you know, occasional uh, corrections uh, as needed, and just in general, like, your feedback, your experience with the, the information that we're discussing. In the meantime, if you want to listen to other episodes of uh, Stuff to Blow Your Mind Listener Mail, those come out on Monday, core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Weird House Cinema on Fridays, and on the weekend, we have a little uh, rerun for you in the form of a vault episode.
0: Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for?
1: Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway.